You're listening to Well Made, a podcast presented by Lumi about the intersection of business and design. Today we're talking to the legendary Aaron Draplin. Aaron is a graphic designer, and if you can't easily call up his work, I would highly recommend a quick online search because you have most definitely come across many of his logos, which all share a strong, timeless aesthetic, simple shapes, bold colors, and somehow they continue to feel refreshing every time I see them. He's also the creative director behind Field Notes, but most of all, he is a real genuine human being who just brings so much passion and empathy to everything that he does. This was a really fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Aaron James Draplin, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I just want to start by saying a big thank you because, I don't know, 10 years I've had these little friends in my pocket talking about field notes right now. I feel like I've had a little, little part of you this whole time. You have. In your pocket, you've had me, you know, uh, squiggling around, uh, allowing you to put your innermost thoughts and feelings on paper for 10 years. I mean, uh, I mean, it's just a weird thing. I mean, is it 10 years? I mean, I know it's getting real close. I think so. I started when they were just the plain old craft ones. So you got your hands on those like 2007s and 6s and stuff, right? Probably, yeah. Somewhere. I've got a ridiculous stack and they look crazy. My, my favorite ones I have right here, there's the, um, the dark sky. What is it? Night sky? Yeah, night sky. I'm going to flip it around a little bit and just kind of say thank you, man. Because, I mean, for eight and a half, nine, nine and a half years now, you know, guys like yourself have helped build this brand and maintain this brand and keep us alive and keep me alive. And, you know, anyone who's listening who uses this stuff, thank you so much. When you think about it, they were nine ninety five then, they're nine ninety five now still. With inflation. <laughs> yeah, with inflation. I mean, I'm just proud of that. Like, it didn't break the book in 2007 or whatever, and it certainly doesn't do it now. You know, I'm just really proud of that because... It's hard not to be a little cynical when you go out and see our little 995 books next to $500 pairs of jeans. Yeah. And I don't want to be that guy, but my favorite places to see these are, you know, next to like-minded or similarly priced little things, you know, in a little college bookstore where kids are buying them because they need a memo book. It's a utility, and I, yeah. and I love that. That's my favorite thing to design, personally. I went to school for industrial design, and the stuff that I like the most is stuff that people touch every day but don't even notice it. Yeah. This morning, I went to a little design firm, and one of the things they asked me is, like, why do you make all these weird little promo items? Just my first answer was, I just love stuff that isn't cool, that is super functional, and it kind of comes back to haunt you. The power of a pencil or the power of a toothbrush you know, a weird little promo coin purse or promo envelope opener. Those are all functional, cool things. And we don't really even know how to celebrate that stuff anymore, much less like even kind of use it. You know, I love things that are meant to be used, things that people will pick up and say, you know, what the hell am I going to do with an emery board? And I say, file your nails down, man, you know, whatever. It's just because they're just like sort of uncommonly common items. What's everyone selling? They're selling stickers that say shit like, I don't know, fuck haters or believe in yourself or just make or whatever. That's all the crap everyone's making. When you walk up on a thing that's a pile of squeeze bottles and stuff, I mean, it's embarrassing first, but, you know, second, there's things you can use. So, One thing that I've noticed, whether it's from your book or from seeing your stuff online, is you seem like a collector. Are you impulsive about that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, I, you know, the thing is, is like, 
I guess impulsive almost sounds like a bad word or something. I mean, it's like, would it be compulsive or would it be like, I just love stuff. I'm okay at letting it go if I have to. You know, some of the things I've been doing around the shop is I'll just go and scan all my books and say, you know, I haven't touched that book in five years. So that one goes in the free bin or if it's worth any money, I try to trade or, you know, whatever, throw it up on eBay or something, I don't know, whatever. So much of me enjoying buying all this bric-a-brac and records and bullshit is because there were a lot of years where I didn't have any money. Yeah. I had a budget and I had to stick to it. And the idea now that when I go to the record store maybe once a week, and I feel like I'm splurging buying four or five records. That's a hundred bucks worth or something. That's not that big of a splurge for me anymore. And I, that just really is, it really tickles me. So, you know, of course I'm a collector. I love to aggregate things. I have a little silver thing here filled with probably 200 patches, right? Of which, you know, 10% are reminders of what not to do. Like all the newfangled stuff you see out there that just don't quite feel right. The other, you know, 190 of those patches, it's like they're reminders of what it was like to work under restraints and the beauty of one color and the beauty of like a red graphic on a white, you know, base cloth patch with red marring or the little, you know, the little stuff on the edge. You know, there's something about that that's just sort of like, um, I don't know. It's like it's really simple and we forget how to do that because now you can go on to goddamn stickerturd.com overnight upload your stuff and they make some garbage vinyl thing that fades in the sun and and just you know what i mean it's like a weird thing to me to be. <laughs> i know exactly what you mean we do no digital printing <laughs> well, like, right well, right we do it's just uh man if you think about it in a broader context like those constraints i look for those all the time not just in designing things but it's always where the creative stuff happens well yeah i mean I don't, I don't know what it is. It's like one out of 10 people will come up to me, one out of 20, whatever, and say, your stickers, like, are those vinyl? And I'll say, yeah, man, that's screen printed ink, you know, gnarly chemicals and all on dumb vinyl, you know? And they're like, well, how did you get this color vinyl? And you say, well, it's overprinted, whatever, you know? So I don't know. It's It's a weird thing where it's like, we need to remind ourselves that you don't need to use every color under the sun and every typeface under the sun and the idea of packing a thousand pounds into a five pound bag. You know, like what's that one service, moo.com? I have to say they do like a really beautiful job. And the idea that they allow that little hit of gold foil on black, it kind of makes people restrain even the amount of foil going down. And that has a special quality to it. Because back when you used to get a foil done, they would sort of, you know, measure the size. And if it was all over the page, you get charged a lot. And if it's a little tiny thing in the corner, it's a little bit different. So I hate to be this guy who's like constantly like, oh, it was better back then. No, you just hold on to the things that, you know, feel the best. Well, it's, it's more a, a matter of how do you make something timeless? And I think we've forgotten how to do that, maybe. I, I would hope that when people pick up some dumb little thing that I made, and it's all pretty dumb that there was some consideration to keep it that way, to keep it a pad print on a piece of plastic, you know? It's not the same when you get like your face printed on a little digital sticker that just gets stuck on some little piece of plastic and it's not the same, you know? So there's a charm and there's a weathered quality yeah. and a kind of uh, unfuck with ability to some of that old stuff that I try to savor, champion, and, you know, using my work.
But these days, I do feel like with web design going in the direction that it's going in the sense that you have many more typefaces that you can work with. It's not just Helvetica. You can work with a, a few more. You can put some Futura on there. Sure. I, I saw the field notes redesign sure. of the website. It looks great. I had nothing to do with it, honestly. Nothing. Well, you, you, you smart brought people. The, the, the identity, the, the original kind of brand identity to it, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, and they, they worked off yeah, of that. Yeah, um, but, but, and, and then it looks amazing on my retina display, so everything looks nice and sharp. And so what I've noticed is that people seem to be going back to more editorial print style design and it looks just as natural there i mean i remember watching this uh, great little video that linda.com put together i've of heard you. of them yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah ruined my life no 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 really? no 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 tell me no, about no, it no 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 <laughs> the things at like two million views that was amazing people it stopped was well thanks awesome i you know thank you man I, I i get stopped in airports now for it from people who aren't even graphic designers you know that was supposed to be it was a fast afternoon a quick little idea right a couple of awesome guys that come up here i mean they're very nice people everything's cool but it's just like, it just scared me how big it went, you know? And then you had like people coming and saying, you're ruining graphic design by making a logo in 15 what? minutes. Oh yeah, man. I mean, you, and those are the comments you remember. You don't remember the 999,000 people who were like, hey, that's awesome. My kid wants to make logos. I mean, I love that stuff. It makes me like, you know, a little bit emotional, you know, to hear like, really? I've had 10 year olds come up to me with, you know, their parents and they have their hands on their shoulders and they're like the, the parents behind the kid going, Little Ethan wants to make logos. And I'm sitting in there with my laptop in the, you know, the airport and the kid comes up and he says, I, I loved your video, you know, because we didn't really swear in it, you know, and it went so, so, so far. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. But to get back to your point, what's funny is even though we can use a million fonts, a million ways, a million things, a million whatevers, why is it refreshing when you go to a website that's clearly thought out, a couple typefaces, like a page in Wired magazine. You know why? Because when you're on the shitter reading that page in Wired magazine, it feels good. We were talking yesterday about GoCo machines, and GoCo machines only allow you to do a couple colors, maybe on a thing or at a time or whatever. And I've been able to, I don't know what the kids would say, modify it to where I was lucky to do base layer of white down on your like, you know, your your slate gray French paper, and then hit it with CMYK dots, right? And you make a photo with Goka, which is more of me just flexing my muscle and saying, this little toy, I'm allowed to do five color if I want. But what's great is just at one color, it's so like human. The company that makes the Goko machine is actually still around. They stopped making those little kits. Riso, right? Yeah, Riso. They, they were huge in Japan. Every household had one of those little Goko machines. The way I was told, I was told, did you have a spirograph? growing up. Of course I did. Yeah. You know, of course I did. Yeah. Well, so did we. We had a Goku machine because every time you go to a party, you'd put, you know, your little buddy's little graphic in the corner of like yeah. their little napkins. That's so cool. You know? So yeah, culturally a little bit different over here, but the first time I ever touched one, things changed for me, you know, slowed down in a weird way. It was really cool. It's empowering. I mean, it's very, it's very empowering to have the ability to create something very crisp on almost any material. It, it feels great. Or the idea of there being, in the moment, problems. Like a big old gnarly pubic hair <laughs> fell on the damn screen and it's screwing things up and you have to stop and figure it out, you know? Or ink dries yeah. up in a corner. You know, one of my favorite things I did in Minneapolis is we had, you know, complete run of these screen printing studios at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. They had this incredible screen print studio. And we'd go in there from, you know, eight at night until five in the morning 
and go ape shit and have tunes playing and make whatever we wanted. And it was all water based. So you really had to go fast. You had to have your paper ready, your buddy to, you know, pull as things come off because the thing would dry up so fast. Right. I, I even got to the point where like with my Goko cards and, you know, that's in the book. If you, you know, you have the book and you see it, that little Goko section, you can't really see it. But on a couple of those cards, I would print with the ink, dip the ink inside embossing powder, sprinkle all the powder off. The wet ink takes the powder. You put that in a stack. When those are all done, you hit it with a little heat gun and the thermography ink embossing powder you know, explodes on there mm. to the point where I was doing blind hits. Yeah. You know, like the, the lightest gray Goko ink mixed with white, it'd be like a blind hit. It would be wet. You would dip that in clear embossing powder, hit that, and you'd get a clear thing over whatever graphic, you know, which is just to be able to have that control and then have it be different from 1 to 10 and then from different from 11 to 20 all the way down the line. You know, the average run I was doing for Goko cards, three and four colors on one side and two colors on the back was 400 cards a run. And I would do it overnight. I would do one side, come back. It's the idea of touching things is fun. One of the things we deal with all the time is we're trying to teach people about some of the imperfections that come with things because all our stuff is flexographic printing, sure, you know, litho sure, printing. And, sure. you know, flexo printing is not a perfect science. It's a thing, I mean, you know, I you know, have to. I know, I know. And, I mean, and we, we have startups coming to us that are used to designing on the screen. And we're like, right. well, you know, it's not going to be exactly like that. I know. But after a while, I mean, that, that's the fun part about this stuff is like when they pick up the T-shirt that's six months old, you know, they've been, they've washed it a number of times and the shit's cracked and whatever. Yeah. Like T-shirts now, they've figured out where they don't even have to have goopy ass regular old plastisol plastisol ink right 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 you know now you can dye it because everyone's just so worried it's going to be too crusty on their poor little chest i mean seriously i have people <laughs> send the shirts back because they're like uh i want it to be soft and stuff you know like the hulk shirt i bought from target well go buy that from those guys man this thing's a piece of shit <laughs> use it for six months who cares it was 22 bucks you know what i mean but you'll see people who go whoa 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 Look at these little stickers, man. Not just, you know, like this thing, you can tell it's a crappy paper sticker, but God, it's, it's got a little patina or something to it. It's got a little tooth to it. It feels good in your hands. I mean, that's why, you know, embossed stickers will never, you know, embossed things. Like I, I just made a, a whole kit for the book called the Everything Else Enhancement Kit, right? You know, one of the pages is a certificate of authenticity. I mean, how stupid is that? But I sign the thing, I date the thing, and I put a little embossed, a uh, silver foil sticker on the thing when it's all said and done. And it's going to be so cool. It's like a little diploma, you know, or something. But those are those are all extra steps. Oh, shit. we got to wait for the train to go by this son of a bitch. He knows I'm here. He'll give me extra I, honks. I, I think it's bringing some good ambiance. I'm going to keep it in. All right. Keep that. He knows I'm in here. Watch. There it goes. See, I told you. These bastards. Anyway, <laughs> you know, people need to appreciate the randomness because on all your, like, cardboard boxes that come into the shop turn them all over look at that little cardboard doodad on the bottom that says you know edge tests and crunch tests and safety standards and all that kind of shit like i have those things built 10 times deep with my own humor and wit and whatever the fuck put into them right but i just know that if i printed that in my own box i'd get like in trouble because you can't you know make fun of that stuff that stuff is there so people understand you know for safety ratings and things why I love those little weight cardboard little things 
is because, yeah, there's zero pretension there. It's just meant to do the job, you yeah. know? But I think, you know, what you're talking about also reminds me of, you know, what's at the back of the field notes or what's on your pencils. Yeah. It's, it's this description. It's like, here's uh, credit to the people who helped me make this. I, I'm actually looking at one right now, and it says, you know, bound with a Heidelberg Stitchmaster, yeah. SD-270, <laughs> yeah. five-pocket saddle stitcher. I mean, this is like one line on the entire page of credits, I guess you would call it. I don't know what you call it, that, that specifications page. You know, yeah, specs, I mean, or, or just transparency to say, right. whoever's running the Stitchmaster that day and he made that thing, that's a nod to them. I have your book right here. This is some good podcasting right here. Those are the pages right there. And there's a section at the end that's very much like the end of a field notes, and it says the world's largest appreciation list. And it's literally, I don't know what point size this is. It's like five point. Four and a half. Yeah. It's embarrassing. It's like f- sure. four, yeah. four and a half point double page <laughs> spread of every, actually three pages of every person that contributed in your life, it looks like. Yeah. And the thing that I learned from from reading your book, you know, on top of all the amazing work that you've done, well, thanks, man. really what it's about, it's about the people. Like this is a book about people is what I discovered yeah. because every one of these things is a story about how you, you know, bumped into this person and started doing work for them or whatever. Like, and it's just crazy. I, I think that's a, an amazing through line throughout your whole career, it seems like. Well, thank you. I had a couple guys come in here and they're, one of the kids was from Minneapolis, and he is a couple years older than me, so I guess he's not a kid. I'm 42. He's 44. One of the guys is from Minneapolis, and, you know, we shared this sort of moment where it was like, do you remember all the bullshit going on in the 90s, you know, just in Minneapolis? I mean, whatever. Like, it was uncool to, like, industrial design because at the time it was all that pukey, cool fashion bullshit, David Carson-y kind of stuff. And I'm not here to slam that whole... Well, maybe a little bit. I mean, it's just so, like, gratuitous. But, you know, where is that shit now? It's gone because it was just puke on a page. It didn't work, you know? But yet, something that Jet Set Experimental or just basic Helvetica still has legs from 1998 that they made and still has legs now. Or, like, go look at the work of Green Lady. Anyway, what I'm getting at is, like, the guy who won't let me into the party here. Because I wasn't cool in Minneapolis. I, you know, whatever. I'm not cool in Portland, but it's like... I wasn't cool enough to get into this, you know, kind of high society bunch of designers party. I'll never forget the guy's name. I'm not going to mention it, but I just remember looking at his work every couple of years thinking, man, that's the hot shit. No, no, that guy is so easily led, still doing the same garbage, whatever the, you know, if it's antlers this month or it's, you know, I don't know what the hell it's, whatever it is next month, he's right on to it. You know, he's easily, easily led. And where I'm going with this whole damn thing is like, you know, when you go back, I immersed myself back into that world and I met turds like that guy. And then on the other hand, for one in five, I'd meet someone who was so down to earth, who would go the extra mile on my dumb little one color or two color business card. I, I, I had no money and I had to scrape together wherever I was living, you know, in Minneapolis or up in Anchorage or something. It was that the latter who was like, man, I want to spend time with that person. Because they were cool, they said thanks, they knew I was broke and met it, and didn't have to, and they did it because they wanted me to come back. These are, I guess, they're old-fashioned ways. So I would attach to that way before I would attach to the big buck or the hottest thing because I knew it was fleeting. It's hard to make your own way. It was hard to make your own way there, but I remember being like laughed at because I loved things that were like really um, functional, like um, like a timetable for like, Amtrak or something that's designed for everybody 
you know, at least in my little space in Minneapolis and my little experience in Minneapolis, it seemed like a lot of the design was only for people who could afford it. That messed with me. I loved things where good design punched you in the face when you were filling out customs forms. You know what I mean? Right. I remember my dad, you know, we would go on these, like, take your kid to work day shit, right? And my dad was a tool salesman. He would go from shop to shop to shop. Now, he would walk in, he would bullshit with all these crusty Harley dudes. You know, they're dudes standing next to a lathe all day long or whatever, some big tool. And that guy's got, like, dirt under his fingernails, and he's kind of hard scrabble. And, you know, here's the thing. It's like my dad could talk to those guys and bullshit with them and ask about their kids and how you doing and what are you up to and all that kind of stuff. And it was like those were his buddies. And then he would go, you know, switch the gear. He'd go up to the front of the joint. And he'd talk to the guy who owns it. That guy who owned the place, that's the guy who'd come back and kind of get uncomfortable and be like, all right, enough talk out of you, Drapple. Let's do some business. And every one of those guys, he, you know, told jokes. They'd turn off the machines. And it was like a little respite for all these guys. I watched my dad do that. Now, I can't really fill those shoes as well. But the idea of, like being personable to each other, saying thank you, giving each other shit, or the idea that like, we were just talking about it at this thing I went and spoke this morning. When I went to French Paper and Jerry gave me the tour, right? Have you ever been to Niles, Michigan? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, well, put it on the bucket list. When you go to Niles, Michigan, <laughs> and you go tour French Paper, and I was there and I'm in awe. I got to put a big old glop of, you know, the paper pulp in my hand and the whole deal. These are the same tools and vats and cement and loaders and shit these guys have been using for six generations and i look at jerry and I go jerry i mean big factory here how many people are working here and he says about half <laughs> <laughs> so at least you got the joke because this morning when i told that story half the kids were like huh i mean it was this this funny little moment where he gave me a little wink i will love that guy forever because he knew how to get me down from my you know, so in awe of being at one of my heroes' places. He knew how to, you know, bring me up to his level, down to his level, whatever you call it. It was just really, really cool. So when people will come here and they'll say shit like, well, you know, you know, Drappin, what's the meaning of life? You know, well, it's Nebraska. You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's weird. You know, it's like, I love my shop because I'm with my two partners. All of us are comfortable. We're all whizzing along trying to get everything done. But when the mailman comes, I know John. I've got to know him now for a couple of years. One of the guys who are the cleaning people here that comes and does all the hallways and the shitters and everything, like, you know, there's always a cleaning crew here. I've known Carlos for seven or eight years. These guys are mentioned in my book because how would it be any other way? You know, these are people you're spending your life with. How did you become this way <laughs> by the time I finished the book? That's the question I had to ask. Oh, that would be Nebraska. Man, I don't know. Um... I just watched my dad be like personable. Yeah. When my dad died at his funeral, which had, I mean, seriously, there's like 500 people. There was a lot of people there. And I just remember at one point, my sister goes up and does her eulogy and everyone's crying and shit. And I just lurked around. It was like, there were like hundreds of people there, you know? And one of the guys who was there was this big, giant dude, beard, maybe a couple years older than me, tool shop guy. Here's a six foot six guy. 350 pounds and he's crying in front of me and i'm like hey i'm aaron i'm jim's son oh we know we know who you are we heard about you for years from your dad he'd show us your work he'd give us stickers you made and cool things he said i need to talk to you because i owe your mom a little bit of money and i said well okay and i said well and he said well you know your dad 
for years, you know, when I wasn't looking. And if he knew I was having a hard go because of my drinking or whatever's going, or just having a hard winter, your dad would leave 10 bucks on my, on my, like, you know, my grinding wheel tool unit, whatever the hell you call this thing. He'd leave 10 bucks and it'd say from your buddy, Jim or something. That was my dad, Jim Drapwood, right? And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, that's, of course, that's where I got this shit. Because my dad taught me, you know, when you go in and you get your pizza from the kid who made your pizza, you thank them, you know, and you say it to all the assholes on the pizza line, hey, fellas, what's up, hey, you know, what's up? You know, you get to know these guys. What's, there's nothing wrong with that. It, I don't mean it to be some hokey thing where you're going from person to person at the bus stop saying, well, how are you today? It's like weird. But no, it's just more this idea of keeping this general air of levity, you know, and nothing's too heavy. Do you consider yourself an optimist? Do you think things are getting better or, or worse? Of course, <laughs> of course. I mean, it's, I mean, what, on, on what level? I mean, if you go turn the news on, you're going to be heartbroken with whatever's going on the last couple nights or whatever. It's, you know, absolutely heartbreaking with all this police shit. I mean, it's just, I don't have a lot of hope for stuff like that, but of course I do. I mean, and just in, in, in general in my life, of course I do. I, I look around me and I, I love to bullshit and I love to talk and I love to share to the detriment of my girlfriend sitting next to me who's like, you talk too much, you talk too much, you know, you say dude, you say the same shit. Well, these are opportunities to go and, you know, uh, spread my seed across the land over the airwaves. And it's, she's over here freaking out right now as I say this bullshit. But seriously, it's like no one even knows how to <laughs> laugh at themselves anymore, or at me or uh, us. Yeah, no, I, I, I see it. I see it. I see it as positivity and enthusiasm and energy. And sometimes it comes through as a sort of angry sort of uh, remember. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. you're there to remind us all, hey, have a little bit of empathy for this person, you know, uh, but it's not, it's not negative. Well, thanks, man. I remember a long time ago, a, a real close buddy who never washed his socks, you know, <laughs> yeah. and we we're in a hotel room on one of these snowboard trips and he would just bring an eight pack for a seven day trip. He'd use them for a day and he'd throw them in a corner. Fuck it. On to the next one. Wow like a brand new pair of socks. There's nothing like it. You know the feeling, right? It's incredible. Oh, yeah. And that's what he is, his rationale. This is a really quirky guy, but it was so wasteful to me. It was like, are you shitting me? Someone has to go pick that thing up from behind <laughs> the damn, you know, like we're in some like hotel room, whatever it was. It's in those moments, like you start to make the rule book of your life. I'm going to wash my socks. I am going to wash my socks. Or if I can finagle Lee into doing it, great. But you know, if I was more comfortable on the on the ladder, I would fix my gutters, which are going to be replaced next week. You know what I mean? But I'm not comfortable on the ladder. If I fall, a certain part of the industry will collapse with it. You know what I'm saying? That's just <laughs> dangerous moves. <laughs> this is going to lead to a weird question, and maybe you already answered it with the Nebraska statement. I feel like that's your uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, What's the Meaning of Life 42. You know, in your book, it's Nebraska. You know, I think so much of your aesthetic and your personality is American. Mm. You know that I was not born in this country. Where, where are you from? I was born in Paris, France. Wow. My dad is French. Hmm. Okay. I lived there for a long time. And I'm an immigrant in a certain way. Yeah. I have both passports. But I, I love America in a very specific way, I guess. And I see that in your life and in your aesthetic. And I'm curious, what does it mean to you? Like, 
It's like my best definition of who you are as an American. <laughs> wow, man. Well, that can have a that can bite you in the ass too. I mean that in a good way. <laughs> well, thank you. I know because here in cynical turd Portland, like I have this bicentennial logo on my my calf tattooed, right? It's my favorite logo mm. of all time. It's so perfectly designed and crafted and clever. It's just everything I love about graphic design. And then on top of that, it's special to me because it meant America, but not in a Lee Greenwood drop fucking bombs on people we don't even know kind of way. Well, yeah, I guess this is my question. What's your definition of America? What does it mean to be American? The lead in for this and the long winded answer is like, you know, it's weird that we have to be sort of cautious of how we talk about that because the Trump version, which is complete bullshit, you know, uh, rallying behind blind ideals and nationalistic fervor and racial bullshit, man, fuck that guy for a million years. You know what I mean? My idea of America, it's very weird because I understand just from my face and height and weight and where I was born and economics and things that there's legs up that other kids didn't have. And it's a weird thing from wherever I was born, which would have been Detroit and then raised in a Northern Michigan town where we had jobs since we were 12 and 13 years old all the way through till now. How did I get ahead? I went to Alaska and washed dishes, you know, for five months at a time for four summers and it sucked. It's not something cool. It's not, I mean, it's beautiful up there, but it's sucked. Like, I'm so proud to talk about that shit because other kids, it was like, well, my parents cut me a check for my first computer. At least I had that. We didn't have that, you know, by buckling down, washing dishes, cooking all summer long, I bought my first computer. And then instead of going out drinking and fighting and fucking every night, like some of my colleagues were in 1995, I was in there nerding out on you know, T26 typography and all the funny stuff from the 90s, House Industries and Chuck Anderson. And I was nerding out and knew if I learn how to do this stuff that maybe I can make a life out of it. If not, I still love my hobby, which is, you know, graphic design, whatever. But the the tattoo thing, it's like I've had, you know, numb nuts pull me aside at like barbecues and go, what's up with that, dude? Are you some kind of like nationalistic redneck or something? And it was like, man, America was 200 years old on 1976, and that's what this logo was meant to commemorate. And it's amazing. And, like, they don't know that, but it's not an eagle, you know, carrying a bomb and a flag or something, you know. And it's just a weird thing that to the average Yahoo that it means something weird like that. Like, I love the Stars and Stripes because to me it meant opportunity, and it to me it meant to be creative. You could make a life. It wasn't always pretty. But to the point where I'm getting now where I get to work on stuff for myself and share it openly with people and sell it openly. But, you know, it's like I'm really thankful for that. Or I'm thankful for my mom and dad who didn't have a lot and we never really knew it. That's America for me, too, because their parents weren't necessarily like that. My mom and dad had to both start working at such a young age. Right. And my dad took me down to a pizza job at 13 and said, okay, this is your new job, man. You're 13, 14. You're going to make pizza now. And I did. It was a place called Crusted Creations on 14th Street in Traverse City, Michigan. Still there. But I worked that job until I was almost 18 years old and grew up there with all my buddies. And we'd skateboard behind the place. There were fist fights behind the place. That's America to me, too. But, you know, I don't know. To further try to, like, put a bow on this thing, it's like, I am forever thankful, in awe, blown away by the idea of like driving from edge to edge, coast to coast, the diversity you'll see, the frustrating things you'll see, 
the really uplifting things you'll see. And that's why, you know, when I say funny things like, you know, about the charm that I will sense in Nebraska, there's an inverse to that too, where you're so frustrated because some people are so nice, you can't tell if they just don't like you, you know? I mean, everything has its, you know, sort of ups and downs, but I'm just really thankful to live in a place where I feel like if you hammer and you play by the rules and you, you know, you don't have a string of DUIs and other weird shit, you can make it. You know, you can make it. I don't know what that definition of success would be to the next guy or gal up and down or whatever you want to call it, but I have far exceeded what I ever thought I'd be capable of making. You know what I mean? When I'm a young kid and you you put your goals at like, I want to make $60,000 a year. And I did it <laughs> quick. And I went pretty far past that, but it's more like I still live in a $60,000 a year state of mind because that was the first time I felt like I'm an adult using graphic design to make what adults make working on factory lines in Detroit, what your my uncles did. My parents would say, oh, that guy makes good money. Well, mom, how much does he make? Aaron, he made 75 grand last year. And I'd be like, whoa, I'm doing that. And I'm an asshole and I'm working on graphic design. Like though, you know, I guess that's America to me too. I like it. I don't know. I like it. I don't know. No. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I think that's great. And I, I'm just glad that there are these facets and these people like you in America that, you know, express it. And in your way, it's very, very visual. There's a historical perspective that comes through in your designs, even for stuff that is meant to be modern. You know, you design yeah, yeah. Apple logos and stuff like that all day long. And sure, they sure, sure. bring that historical perspective with them. This has been a great conversation, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time for it. Thank you for your time, and thanks for having me and uh, letting me ramble. And thanks, you guys. Thank you. Where should people go? Obviously, they got to go to uh, the DDC. I've been waiting patiently to get all the plugs in. Here's the deal. Everybody right now go to draplin.com, and it's kind of on a holding page. You can see our little eat kit. That's been sitting there for way too long, but I'm just so excited to have made the book. You can go get that book at ddcbook.com. We've got a number of links there. You can start at Amazon, work your way up or down or whatever you want to call it, finding it. At MoMA, you can find it maybe even in your Barnes & Noble, you know, in Castle Danger, Minnesota, maybe, you know. But that book is all over the place. And then, of course, fieldnotesbrand.com. You have to go to fieldnotesbrand.com because... They're $9.95 for those books, and we make them, and they are made by our friends in Chicago. And the paper is made by our friends in Niles, Michigan, which would be, you know, French paper. And we know who even makes the staples, you know, and the ink and everything else. Subscription services and all kinds of new stuff and classics and things. So go to fieldnotesbrand.com. I, I, endorse, I endorse all of these products. One more. Okay, so <laughs> you're going to have to, at some point here, you're going to have to go on to draplin.com backslash gigs, and you'll see my fall tour that we are... You know, currently devising. Oh, and amazing. so far, by the grace of the Northwest and the power of the internet, we have two dates locked in, which would be October 10th in Bend and then October 12th in Bozeman. So that means maybe some shit's going to happen in Spokane on the 11th and maybe not. Maybe we'll just spend a day driving. But, you know, for the rest of those two months, we're going to be going ape shit and going all over the place in a van. That would be myself and then our tour manager, Lee McColai. What do, what do people expect to see at the tour? For the book tour, we're going to talk about the book. And you can buy the book and have the book signed. There's going to be a bunch of weirdo limited edition shit. 
are graphic designers supposed to go on a tour? No, but they are this fall. So we're going to go and we're going to adventure and we're going to stay in hotels that give you bed bugs and we're going to stay with friends and we're going to see friends and we're going to just go kick the world's ass. I mean, somewhere there I have to go to Austin for MondoCon. October 22nd. Somewhere they're going to have to go speak at the big Adobe thing November 5th, something like that. But all these other folks who have, you know, contacted us, for instance, you know, one guy just found out we're going to be down in uh, San Diego on the 5th of, uh, of uh, November, and, and we're going to do our talk there. And then a couple days later, we're going to do a pop-up in his store in Encinitas, California. So nothing is off the table. Now, in anywhere in between there, Denver's called, Nebraska's called again, you know, uh, Chicago's called again, three places in Ohio. I'm going to string together this tour, and we're going to go talk about making a book. And then when this is done... You know, I'm either going to die and then just be, you know, uh, sucked back into the woods where I came from, <laughs> or I'm going to take a big goddamn break <laughs> next year and just, you know, really take a break from this shit. So you're going to hibernate. Yeah, man. You know, go back to, uh, you know, uh, just die in the woods at the hands of the elements and go back to nature. You know, uh, I love when people talk about when I die, here's how I want to be buried. I love that shit because <laughs> I would love just to be left in a big wood pile, you know, just a big pile of shit and just let let, let the wood and the, the leaves and the insects and the rodents and just come and gnaw on me and shit. And I mean, seriously, like I do not want to be in some perfumed bullshit casket. I want to be I agree. just buck fucking naked, buried in the dirt.